Amen. All right. Well, uh, Andrew and I have been online here a little this week in terms of... Uh, yeah, this. actually, I missed part of that because of the email thing I had sent you last night. Well, we left you off, Roger. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just just teasing you, of course. And, and you know, I, I questioned because Andrew did such an outstanding job last week on this section. Well, actually, lessons on this, which I thought was well worth it, but I didn't actually make that real well, clear about... The division of what, who did what. Well, Andrew and I really had, had a good time. I'll let him say with whether that's true or not. <laughs> dialoguing about this, this text. And I think I'm going to take a little different twist here today. And it's not right or wrong. It's just a little bit different view okay, of this section sure. of scripture. And we'll see how that fits. Uh, so let's, let's review what Andrew covered last week. And again, he did a great job as usual in presenting the word of God. So this was part one last week, and today is temptation in the Christian life, which we all go through. We're hearing it for your niece's family, Carol, in terms of the temptations that exist before them. So number one, this Greek term, perazo, can be translated as being tempted or tested. And I think, I think that relates to us today in terms of this whole aspect of the temptation in the Christian life. I'll come back to that. And temptation to sin may be internal or external, and we're all aware of that. I mean, you know, the flesh is pretty good at this, <laughs> but also the things in the outside that impact us that ultimately result in falling short of God's glory. Remember, what's sin? <laughs> it's falling short uh, of God's glory. The third pointer is that temptation to sin can't come from God. He's perfectly holy, and he does not tempt us to sin. And then finally, temptation to sin, which is internal in terms of the way we deal with all these issues that come up, issues lust, which is best defined as a craving for what is forbidden in terms of God's glory, which leads to sin, which leads to death. And what kind of death is that? Is it, do, we, do, we, do we die physically? Of course not. But the sin dies because it has no merit. And I think we think back of 1 Corinthians 3 where it's wood, hay, and stubble, these kinds of things that ultimately we fall short either by intentional or non-intentional falling short of God's glory. That doesn't cut it before God eternally. So we're going to come back to that too in terms of how sin may impact what occurs going forward. So let's return first of all to verse 13 that God cannot be tempted uh, by evil. So how should we then interpret the following? Luke, I'm going to read two passages here, one from Luke and one from Matthew, about the temptation of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Luke it says, Then the devil, taking him up, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you and their glory. For this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. Okay, that's the Luke passage. And the Matthew passage differs a little bit, and I think it's not so different, but it's different enough that I think we can look at both passages. Matthew 5, 1 through 3, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had Fasted 40 days and 40 nights. Think about that a little bit. Boy, fasted, I mean, for 40 days. I mean, the body is pretty stressed metabolically after 40 days with no nutrients. 
Afterwards, he was hungry. <laughs> you, you know, it's kind of interesting because when you continue to fast, you develop what's called a ketosis, which tends to shut down appetite. And that's a preservation, really, of life is what it is. God has created us to have a backup fuel when we have no carbohydrate in our diet that the brain still gets its metabolic needs met. That's a little bit of a side, forgive me. But <laughs> now, when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. And that was an initial temptation that the Lord experienced based on his hunger. And that's why scripture defines that aspect of his being in the wilderness. Now, do we believe herein that the Lord Jesus was tempted or tested? Remember the Greek verbs. Is he tempt was he tempted like we're tempted? No, he was tested. He was tested. And how how do we interpret him being tested? What was he tested in terms of the expected outcome? Well, wasn't he being tested to prove who he is? Exactly, Roger. I mean he's being tested to prove he's a son of God. Couldn't you also say that? Couldn't you also say that the devil was trying to tempt him, although he couldn't be tempted? They'll have bad right, right, but he has no capacity to respond as we would with a sin nature within us, right? Right. So here, I think the best interpretation of it is he wasn't, he personally wasn't tempted as God to give in to Satan and all that Satan offered him. He was tested to prove who, who he really was. And that's why the Lord allowed that to happen. It was specifically to show the devil that he was not going to, you know, be tempted at all by that. Did Satan know that, you think? Oh, why is this in Scripture? Yeah. Why, why do we even have a record of this? To show us that he couldn't sin. Bonnie, I'm sorry. To show us that the Son of God could not sin. Absolutely. He has no capability. Right. Now, he's hungry. Yeah. He has all the earthly aspects of a 40-day fast. Right. But despite the hunger, he's not going to give in no. to the enemy. No. Well, Bobby, you know, this particular verse, both Ryan and I have come across people that... Are you, are you on, Roger? Yes, I am. Oh, okay. Yeah. That actually don't understand that our, our Savior and our is sinless. They, they say, well, to be a true God-man, he's got to be able to... That They see this as a... Um, they see it for the wrong reason. They say, well, he, he should be able to sin. And they, they miss the whole point of this, these passages. If to, you go the other direction. To be a true temptation. To be a true temptation, they say. I, I was in a church at okay. one point in time where the teacher, who was a man of God, unequivocally right. a man of God, believed Christ could have sinned. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I think scripture, and I'm not going to take a lot of time here to, to defend that position, but God is perfectly holy. Right. He has no human nature that we call the flesh or sin nature. Right. Okay, good. So, so this, is a, this is a pivotal point for, for many. It, it really is a very important point. Okay, second here, point here. How do we apply this to the exchange life we believers have? Think, think out loud a little bit. How, when temptations come our way, you, you know, we, we have a whole process by which, and I mentioned that in the first slide, of where temptation leads to lust and lust leads to sin and sin leads to death, right? But... Do we intellectually say, gee, that's that's something that really I'd like to do, but I'm not going to. And I'm going to come back to Andrew's use of a diagram at the end of today's okay. lesson, which was okay. absolutely wonderful, thanks to Hal. But yes. all that aside, I'm going to suggest to us that if we look at the temptations as being tested to prove who we really are, 
there's a victory connected to that mindset rather than giving in with lust for whatever that temptation might be. I'm just suggesting that. Yes, we're tempted because we're different than ultimately the Lord Jesus Christ was. Why is this different for us than for our Heavenly Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, or the Holy Spirit? And, and by the way, last week, um, ultimately, Andrew pointed out a series of verses which, in fact, either the Lord Jesus Christ was tempted or tested, mm-hmm. our Heavenly Father was tempted or tested, and the Holy Spirit was tempted or tested. We're not going to review all those verses today. I'm trying to make a point that why is this different for us? And I think we have a similar Absolutely. We're not the Lord Jesus Christ. We we are positionally, and I'm going to return to that, but we're not conditionally. We have a sin nature, and that sin nature never changes. And I think as we grow in grace and truth, in the light of the Lord Jesus Christ, that light of our Savior makes us reveal more about ourselves that's not very pleasant. As you grow in grace, the light becomes brighter, and our darkness in our human flesh becomes more evident for what it is. Thoughts about that? Uh, my thought is that Lord, the Lord Jesus is our life. We're identified with him. And that's the encouraging part of him overcoming temptation or, or trial. He's our life. That's how we respond to, to difficulties. Okay, good, Jimmy. Good. So to continue that thought, will our sin nature ever change or does it continue to exist? It does. And again, as I just said, as the light gets brighter, the darkness gets more revealed for what it really is. Until we're with him. And that's the that's the time when we no longer have our sin nature. All right, so in terms of application then, how should Perazzo be interpreted for us? If we if we're gonna think of this as not being tempted, which in fact is the way we look at it almost always, if we're being tested to prove who we really are, let's look at scripture. Romans 6.11, likewise you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Reckoning is not taking away the sin nature, it's looking positionally that we're one in Christ Jesus at the right hand of God. So we reckon that to be true. Are we dead to sin? Did Christ die for our sin nature? Absolutely. That's what this church here is all about. It's identification and positional emphasis for what we teach and how we respond to that. Next verse, 1 John 2.27. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true, and this is not a lie, and just as it has been taught to you, you abide in him. Okay, so that's a testing. It's a testing to prove that we have a new nature that ultimately is capable of responding to this. And one of the greatest, we dealt with this in Bible study last night in our home. One of the greatest verses in the Bible, for me to live as Christ. And that living as Christ is to look at these as testings to prove who we really are and not a temptation. And by the way, that's not something we intellectualize. How many times do you say, gee, I'm, I'm positionally above, I'm living in Christ, oh, by the way, that temptation's kind of, <laughs> it's, it's a temptation, it's not a testing. I'm just thinking, put on a new view of temptations. I wish I could do this more regularly, actually. I mean, we all do. But yet, I think scripturally, this, you know, ultimately definition of this verb could apply either way. And I would say most of the commentators are not going to go in this direction. And it's not that I'm smarter. 
But I really like the idea, positionally, we can be lifted up and victorious more of our temptations when we think about being tested. Carolyn? I kind of think of it like like a muscle. You know, that the more you exercise it, the stronger it'll get kind of thing. And well, that's good. I don't know if that's scriptural or not, but... But there are times that I that I find myself, you know, getting getting bogged down in something, you know, as I'm thinking about it or whatever. And then, you know, I think, well, wait a minute, you know, let's let's look at the bigger picture here. That, you know, I this is not this is not my home, you know. And and then it's like I'm able to see things differently. But, you know, I don't I don't think that way as much as I would like to. But I think the more you do it, the more you do it. You know, kind of thing. And, and you, you know, get... as I was working out again this morning, I was thinking about this toning of my muscles. It's <laughs> occurring less uh, frequently and less sufficiently than it once did. <laughs> anyway, maybe that's showing my spiritual nature, too. I hope not. But anyway. Okay, so like I just indicated, to consider the power of his resurrection in us, the view of temptation must be founded in positional truth. If we're going to take this view, this isn't just convincing ourselves and the flesh of the sin nature that we need to do better here. It's really looking at these temptations with a new pair of eyes. Second Corinthians 5.21, one of my favorite verses, he hath made him who knew no sin, be made sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Well, here's your verse that you can, you know, our, our Savior is, um, you know, there's no, he has no sin, basically. So here's the verse that declares that. No sin, no sins, or no sin, sin nature. And positionally, God sees us as righteous. I mean, isn't that kind of the beginning of addressing these temptations? Seeing our positional truth and just being declared righteous? And when we look at the Lord Jesus Christ as being tempted in the wilderness, if we could put on at least a small part of that, looking at these temptations as testings. And I think we, I don't know, I'll speak personally, you fail all the time at this because the sin nature never changes. We are not the Lord Jesus Christ conditionally. Because we carry this sin nature within us. Colossians 3 1. If you're, if you're raised with him, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting on the right hand of God, and set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, like these temptations or testings, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So anyway, we could go on with positional verses left and right here in terms of looking at who we are positionally. So I think ultimately this does give us a potential different view of these temptations when we look at them as testings to prove who we really are. All right? Let's go to verse 14 then. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own lust. So I'm going to ask the class here. Each of us need to individualize this. Um, is this drawing away or tempting or testing mostly from Satan, the world system or cosmos around us, or is it internal, our own sin nature? What, do you, what are your thoughts about that? Well, the, well, the sin nature is a portal, if you will, for this, in, in a sense. I mean, our, our sin. but if there were no, let's think about certain classes of so-called Christians who go into isolation, right? So the world system has no impact on it. They can't look at billboards. They can't look at commercials on television. They can't go to movies. They're isolated. So the world system is gone, theoretically. I mean, they might be hungry. That could be another thing if they're not getting enough food. But is Satan still alive and well? 
He is, is he not? Is their sin nature any different because they isolate themselves? Well, how about Martin Luther? Martin Luther's testimony about that. Go ahead. When he testified about about being tempted by Satan when he was struggling with the, I, I forgot where it was in his life. Translation. I don't know. Somewhere in his life, right? You know, his ninety-nine theses. He talked about being tempted by he's by himself, I gather. So and he threw the inkwell. Yeah, when you isolate all of that, there's still self. Oh, really? <laughs> that was my point about, about the priests and the nuns that, yeah. you know, who go away and isolate themselves to, to take the world system out of there. I mean, that's in nature. It doesn't get bumped up there. Absolutely. We're isolated. We've thought about that, about you. <laughs> All right. Let's continue here. What are we drawn away from? Righteousness. What's that? Righteousness. Okay, good. And, and by the way, this term in the Greek really means like bait fishing. I mean, we're, we're drawn away like the bait's out yeah. there. We have his picture, right? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah, well, I'm going to show that that last slide. That's what Andrew showed last week. So what, it's being drawn away from the truth and the virtue, which are wrapped up in the new creations. We are all in Christ Jesus. Okay, so we're, we're drawn away from this new nature we have with the power to really resist sin and not be tempted by it. Second Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, what, what things are we talking about there? Are we talking about that sin nature's passed away? No. What's passed away? Well, our, our relationship to our sin nature, I think that's... Okay, or the, well, I think what's passed away is the the ability, positionally now, which often is not conditional, <laughs> the impact of Satan in our lives or also the world system on our lives. The sin nature doesn't change. But all things are passed away in terms of the ability to respond differently than we did as unbelievers. We were slaves before. Right. Bondage, Roy, perfect, yes. Slaves before... Now we're, in fact, designated as sons and daughters. And we're okay. slaves to the Holy Spirit now. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. We're part of a brand new creation. Okay. So we're new creations in Christ Jesus positionally made righteous. And so that righteousness has an ability to respond to temptation that's different than the old nature trying to be better in terms of their life and response. Huh? Yes. Um, there's also an awareness of, of what sin is. Um, because when you're in the old nature, when you're an unbeliever, you might think this is just normal. This isn't even wrong, you know. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, if you think about what Roger taught last week in, in Romans chapter 2, this, this idea of the conscience ultimately being a law unto itself, that conscience could be very influenced by cultural issues around us. I mean, I, the extreme often side is cannibalism. You know, eating, you know, your sister is okay. I mean, uh, I mean, the idea is culture can influence the legal system, the self-righteousness and how it responds to it. You're right. So, so the, it's okay to eat your brother. But yeah. <laughs> let's just leave that one on the shelf right now. So let's not, not ignore the fact that Satan is clearly the god of this age and the world system takes its toll also. How does the world system take, take its toll in terms of us being tempted? 
it's always there. It's yeah, always, we can't it's always get well, give me some examples. How does the wellness system impact our ability to lust? Now, remember, as John described, the three great sins that John described is the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and what's the third? The pride of life. And by the way, Andrew, I looked at that list, all the sins last week. I, I, you know, you could relate to many of those. I didn't see pride or vanity on that list, but clearly John identifies it as that. So I'm not being critical. I'm just saying, you know, that John said that's one of the three biggest. And if you wrap all three of those together, you've got about all the sin we're capable of. So how does the world system impact us? I, I say the world system takes its toll too in terms of temptation or testing. Well, it promotes all three of those yeah, things. Yeah, it does. Okay. It promotes all three of those things. Okay. How's okay. television for two minutes? And you'll see yeah. That. Yeah. Well, and think about TV. I mean, we have Channel Five, which is Me Too TV. And occasionally, if we're not ready to go to sleep, I'll put on Perry Mason at 10.30 at night and watch it do 11.30. Anyway, but, you know, all the kind of more innocent television shows of 60 years ago, right? I mean, it's amazing how TV and movies has changed. I saw Tom and Jerry this week. I was watching the news, and I was tired of it, and I flipped the channel, and Tom and Jerry's on. <laughs> and said last night everybody had gone and I flipped on and it was on channel five and Tom and Jerry was on there. <laughs> I didn't watch it though. On the way home, Margaret. I'm gonna suggest you go to Mike's class from now on. Yes. Um, right now, the world system seems to be trying to force itself onto people and, and make them accept a whole lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's, that's just very distressing. It is. It really is. And I, I think I'm going to show a couple of verses that really relate to Satan and the world system. So let's look at those, but you're absolutely correct. Uh, second Corinthians 4, 3, 4. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine upon them. I mean, the God of this age. And by the way, the God of this age is mentioned repeatedly in the New Testament as Satan being the God of this age. And just one other verse that looks at the world system. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. I mean, Satan is the God of this age and the world system through principalities and every other aspect of our governmental system and beyond provides a source of temptation. Hey, Bob? Yes, right. Uh, just some thoughts here, uh, specifically the verse you've got there in front of you. Okay. Uh, Principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this age. Uh, there's going to be an age where that will be different, and yet man will still fall, even though yes. Satan is bound for a thousand years. Yep, the millennium, right? Isn't that something that? Yeah. No more satanic right. uh, God of this age ruling, but our sin natures rule. <laughs> Isn't that amazing, too, when God's going to write his truth in the hearts of the Jewish nation? Yeah. But yet still, people will fall short. Yeah. So we are 
able to say the devil made us do it, right? Well, we can say all three made us do it, right? That's the point. The source of temptation or testing, again, we got to look at both ways of interpreting this. The sin nature is tempted to sin, but when we're tested, we live above that. And I know that's hard. This is something you intellectualize. It's knowing the Lord Jesus Christ and the positional truth we have in him. So here's the go ahead. I'm sorry. That's right. The hungry heart this morning emphasizes that the foundation of all of this is the crucifixion with Christ so that we are now ascended with him. And that is his life now. Isn't that something? For me to live as Christ, Roy, right? Right, right. I'm going to thank Andrew for giving me pages and pages of Chafer's view of this whole subject. Uh, and I'm going to lift a, just a small section here because there was so much material there. I'm quoting Chafer. It has sometimes been held that the claim of possession of the earth was a lie. And this being asserted on the ground that Satan is exposed to scripture as a liar. Such a conclusion is impossible for at least two reasons. It would have been no temptation had he not possessed the kingdoms he offered. And any such false claim would have been immediately braided as a lie by the Son of God. He is still further revealed as the recognized head of the world system in two additional passages. One from uh, 1 John 4, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And uh, I should have capitalized the he, I thought I did. And the second verse in 1 John 5, 19, and we know that we are of God and the whole world, whole world system, lieth in the wicked one. So that the world system and Satan are very connected because that's his vehicle to reach us in the form of temptation. Or if we put on Christ, and being tested for who we are. Well, well Bobby, you know, uh, the question that was asked um, online there, um, it seems like today we see more of his working than we did maybe when we grew up. When we grew up, it seemed like he was more Satan's act, we're more veiled because we, True. quote, lived in a more Christian nation and people's mores were more in line with Christianity. That, but now time has moved on and people can say and do whatever they want and they are proud of it. They're proud of their sin. We've moved on from a time. So we just see more of what he's always been doing. But, you know, I remember my grandmother saying when I was a little girl uh, that Satan, shit. yeah, that Satan was taking over the world. I mean, back yeah, she, then, yeah, she, I mean, this was in the, you know, 50s and 60s. Exactly. I understand. She, and from her perspective, right. yeah. she saw right. this very same thing we are saying now. Back then. Right. So it's interesting how. It is, it is. You know. But you have to admit, it seems like we've reached a new high. Oh, yeah. A new low. Exactly. <laughs> a new low. Can a new it low. get worse? And I think it can get worse. We'll get out, Kelly. Some of it, too, I think, is that, you know, just because of, like, the Internet and TV and phones, it's constantly. It, it is. Yeah. You know, it's constantly in front of our face. And so I think, well, you know, we're, we're more aware just because we're seeing it a lot more. Well, I mean, you know, often some clip will come up. You're just you know, looking at the internet for some specific. Some clip comes up of some woman barely clothed. You know, I mean, so what do you do with that? I mean, it's it happens frequently. You know, it's just it's just innocent searching for a topic or something, and then something pops up like that. But in in light of all of that, in in light of that vision that we have in the world system, 
remember, we are alive in Christ now. His life is alive. So when we see that, we recognize it for what it really is. It's a lie. Then you're tested, Roy, to prove who you really are. That's the way we need to look at this. I've got a question for the class. Do you think that God has given Satan the same permission to affect our lives as he showed in, in Job? Yeah, that's and hear that text if you want to read it when you get home today, Job 1, 6, 22. <laughs> I hope not. He gave the devil, he gave the devil free reign, didn't he? I know. Basically. And if you read Job, you really get down, don't you? I mean, how did this guy go through all this stuff? And he, according to scripture, he didn't go so well for a while. He had all these friends that were advising him. Jim, don't, don't tell me how I should. <laughs> I'm just teasing you. But, um, Yes. The Lord knows us better than okay. we know ourselves. And, uh, He knows when to hold back, you know, some of, some of this stuff that might impact us. And the verse in what is, yeah. I think it's first Corinthians, we won't, won't be tempted beyond which he, we can right. talk later or right. something like that. I'm paraphrasing. So, so I guess my answer to the question would be no. You know, it, it just okay. on the person, you know. Right. Well, he, he, yeah. dealt, he, say he dealt with Job as 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 I don't know say, as, Job, as Job right and 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 actually Job was a, a particular person in time that the Lord chose to demonstrate who he was and and what he's about and he uses us in similar ways not as spectacularly we don't make this page of the scripture but we our lives are are you know. And keep in mind, Job was probably written very early, uh, chronologically. It's probably back around Genesis time, right? That's where it's thought to be placed. And so that was a point God was making, a principle of God. So Satan is the rule of this world, and he was then too. I mean, think of the garden, how Satan subsequently has taken over, because he tempted Eve and Adam and ultimately was successful, and we've carried that with us ever since. But does he take people's relatives and and uh, cattle and land and everything yes. like he took from Job. Well, you, I, I, you, I know, you can hear he allows a lot to occur, but God doesn't purposely yeah. act with it's, us like he did with Job. I don't yeah. think he has he has a you know he acts in purposeful we'll see it later on. He he's a purposeful God and he has purposeful trials. He doesn't do it just for you know hey, just as a reminder, we've touched on this before but I'll touch on it again. But in ourselves the sin nature never ceases, does it? and continues to operate day in and day out. And Macaulay, just a a couple of sentences here, this verse tells us where temptation originates. The term, his own lust, points to the source. Everyone has an innate response to sin. Paul often calls it the flesh, and sometimes we refer to it as the sin nature. And Macaulay rightfully says, it cannot be abolished, nor improved, nor refined. Amen. All right, and you know, just a couple of verses that represent that. Let me turn my own page here, make sure I remember how many verses I have here. Okay, Romans 7, 11, I skipped the 13. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it killed me. Dot, dot, dot. Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not, but sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. What's Paul saying here in Romans 7? Where's Paul living here? Remember in Romans 6, I've been crucified with him, buried with him in baptism, 
him to death and risen with him in newness of life, but now the struggles of Romans 7. What's, what's Paul doing? He's under a legal system. He's now applying the law as written to the Jewish nation to his own life, and he's falling short left and right. So that's, what was, what was the law given to us? What's Galatians say about the law? What was his purpose in our lives? Produce sin. Yeah, it, it was it was a schoolmaster to show us our sin nature. Yes, we cannot. Paul has fallen back under this legal system, and sin became a reality for what it really was. Right? Just echoing what you said there, that we cannot keep it, uh, and so it was given to show us how we have a need for Him. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And another text here, Ephesians 4. I, I love this because when I was in this one church, ultimately, um, the teacher was relating to the lack of performance of the Ephesian church. And, and I, I love this because here's what Paul used as an explanation. But you have not so learned Christ. Right. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according as to deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So why were they falling short of returning to old ways that the sinful nature was being manifested? Because they had not learned Christ. Think of our many brothers and sisters who failed to recognize this important truth. Learning Christ, our position, and ultimately how that impacts our condition, is this best way to deal with temptation. Isn't that where service and ministry come into play? Because actually Romans 7 isn't the worst thing to happen to a guy. It's actually the best thing. Yeah. And many people interpret that as before Paul was saved. Absolutely not. It cannot be so interpreted. It relates to the Christian life, how we can be intellectually informed about being co-crucified and risen. But ultimately, if the Holy Spirit is not activating the new conceptions or, or creations we are in Christ Jesus, it's worthless. Romans 7 is a non-issue for the unbeliever. Yeah. They don't even concern themselves for righteousness. Mm-hmm. All right, let's One, finish uh, up here. No, go ahead. I'm sorry, Jimmy, did you say something? No. Uh, oh, uh, wait. Yes. And that's not just learning about Christ. That's learning him personally. Okay. That's a that's a relationship. That's not just. Yeah, you know, last night we were dealing with Philippians three twenty and twenty one, where it says, "For our, for our citizenship is in heaven, that we eagerly await the coming of the Savior." So it's the personal Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Christianity is. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's close. Yeah, go ahead. One of the strong things in this verse that needs to be pointed out is this is not a command to put off. This is not a command to put on. That's not what we learned here. What we learned from him is that what he has taught us is you have put on. You are being renewed in the spirit of your mind, and you have put on the new man. Absolute Good point, Roy. You've not so learned this. (laughs) That's why you're failing. You've not learned this. Amen, brother. Thanks, Mike. Good to hear from you in Arizona. Okay. Uh, again, we want to finish up here in the next few minutes. Uh, verse 15, then when desire, I put lust, has conceived, 
It gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, which is passive, by the way, <laughs> it's a passive process by which this occurs, death follows. Constable says, lust in this context is the desire to do, to have, or to be something apart from the will of God. Lust is covert, but sometimes it manifests itself overtly. So it can be both within and without in terms of its manifestation. How should death be interpreted here? Uh, is it just unworthy or separated? Well, I think in, in, in context, I think a good metaphor here is pregnancy. Conception occurs, but abortions, and I'm not saying what's so-called therapeutic abortions, which is absolute murder, but, you know, spontaneous abortions. My late wife, Sharon, was pregnant with our sixth child. And that's when breast cancer was diagnosed during her first trimester, and she spontaneously aborted that pregnancy. That wasn't a therapeutic abortion. It was a spontaneous abortion. Then we went to get her cancer evaluated. I thought she had mastitis, an infection of the breast. But, in fact, it was a big tumor that was, unfortunately, probably delayed to be diagnosed by six weeks because we knew she was pregnant. I mean, I'm only saying that because that's what death really implies here. It's a conception that now, unfortunately, was interrupted spontaneously. I'm sure Paul wasn't thinking about what we so-called therapeutic abortion today. And ultimately, Romans 8, 6, for to be carnally minded or conceived is death or abortion, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So that's a way to look at that metaphor in Scripture and how that might be applied. All right. So wrapping up here, uh, I think I'll not read this just because of time, but I'll, I'll just read the beginning. What fruit you have then and the things of which you are now ashamed, for the end of those things is death. <laughs> I mean, all these, this, all the sin manifested overtly or covertly ends up in death. And at the end of this, we all know Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And then uh, in James uh, 1.12, a verse that preceded this lesson, Blessed is a man who endures temptation, but when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So here's one of the crowns. This is one of the earth, those heavenly rewards is continuing to resist temptation or being tested favorably as the Lord has indicated. Now, here's this handout that uh, Andrew shared, shared last week. And, of course, this diagram says it all. And thanks to Hal for this. Uh, I, I'm, I think I'm not going to probably spend a lot of time because of the time here. But, you know, temptation is covert or overt. Either way, it's there and ultimately leads ultimately to the internal response that's lust or desire. And uh, we can reckon that uh, to be indebted in the sin. Uh, and confess that lust and move on. And But ultimately, when we take the bait, as shown on the right, there's the diagram. Ultimately, that ultimately results in uh, a pregnancy, if you will, if you want to look at that metaphor. And ultimately, uh, that it bears sin, and ultimately, that sin leads to death or abortion. So I think the diagram really kind of is something we can look at and see how what our dealings with temptation look like and where we fall on this plateau downhill to death from the sin nature we all encompass. Well, Bob, I always like the fact that how kind of distinguished between the point at which you sin, because you, there's, there's a couple steps down there that you can, you can count, you can reckon yourself dead to sin and not, 
not take the bait. So up until you take the bait, that's just that str- that's the struggle area we're talking about. You once you take the bait, uh, you you know, there's no returning yeah. from that. Yeah, right. Then there's the horizontal line that relates to you know the sin nature is never going to change. So we're all tempted or tested. <laughs> Again, think of think of that being tested because then we reckon that that lust immediately and it's we confess and we move on. The fellowship's never broken. But once the bait, we get the bait, then the fish follows. Well, I also like the fact that Paul would point out when he taught this many times that, you know, uh, God's desire is we're, we're in the reckoning mode, if you will. He doesn't, he wants us to be in that mode that we're reckoning, 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 because once we've gone, you know, to the full extent, then we're, then we're in the confession, confession mode. Much better to be reckoning, reckoning, reckoning than con- Confessing, confessing, confessing. Considering it accomplished, right? That the sin nature has been crucified. They're both needed. We need them because we have a sin nature that's still there. But better to be in the reckoning mode than the confession mode all the time. Good. Amen. All right. Jimmy, would you close us in prayer, please? Dear Father, thank you so much for the fellowship that that we have with all of these believers. So it's so important in helping us abide in Christ, learning Christ, and with through your precious truths. And we glorify you and thank you so much in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.